0: Well, good morning Mercy Hill Church. Uh, My name is Chris. As Jared said earlier, I am one of the elders here and it's a it's a joy to be here. Uh, I'm always grateful for the opportunity to preach and to teach and uh, I pray that uh, we're faithful to the scriptures and that you are encouraged and convicted and that you feel God's presence uh, this morning through his word. We are continuing our sermon series through the book of John, and uh, we are in John chapter 10. So I'm going to give you a couple seconds to grab your Bible. Uh, paper uh, would be the, the best option because I, wanna, I want you guys to, to pay attention and to follow along and feel like you're part of uh, this service as much as, as possible this morning. I'm going to jump right in. Not going to waste any time with a story of some kind. The Christian life is defined by the subject of our worship. Uh, the, the pinnacle of that, of the Christian life, is Jesus, worshiping Jesus, where we can find our joy and our satisfaction. The world competes for our worship, the enemy competes. For our worship, whether that's our comforts, um, tempting us with comforts, consumption, our social needs, po- political needs, whatever uh, those, whatever you first thought of in your head, the world competes for our worship in these things, distraction after distraction. But in, in, the, in the middle of that noise, in the middle of those distractions, in the middle of the, 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 the stirring and the busyness and the craziness and, the, and the, the call to try to compete for your worship, Jesus is calling. Jesus is calling you. He's calling you this morning. Jesus is calling others who don't even know him yet. He is gathering his flock as the good shepherd. Spoiler alert uh, that Jesus is the good shepherd, as we'll see in our scripture this morning. But our scripture this morning in John chapter 10 sits between two two opposites. So in chapter 9, verse 38, we saw last week that this blind man who was healed by Jesus after being interviewed, or we'll say interrogated four times by the Jewish leadership, Finally, Jesus says to him, in verse 37, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. In other words, talking about the Son of Man. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. It took a while. It took a few seconds. It took more than seconds. It took four interviews, working through the process, Jesus teaching him, speaking to him, showing who he is. But this man came to believe and worshipped Jesus. His sight was restored, and clear, more clearly and more clearly did he see Jesus for who he was, who is the Savior, the Messiah, the Promised One, the Rescuer. But the opposite of that is what was found at the end of our section of text in verses 19 through 21. It says, there was again a division among the Jews because these words, many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. These Jewish leaders got to the so angry and to, to a point that they said that Jesus was insane. In other words, they did not believe. They did not accept Jesus' teachings, what he was saying. They did not understand, and they are ready to kill Jesus. So on one hand, in chapter 9, at the end of chapter 9, we have this blind man who has had his sight restored, who believes in Jesus and worships him. And the other, we have the Jewish leaders who are rejecting Jesus, calling him demon-possessed, and calling him insane, not worshiping Jesus, worshiping themselves, their own understanding, and being blind to the realities that the man standing before them is the Savior of the world. And that is where we sit this morning in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 19. We sit here in the middle of these two juxtapositions. We sit in the middle of either believing or not believing. And just because we sit in the middle in our text does not mean we can stay in the middle. There is no option to be on, on both sides. We cannot straddle the fence. We cannot stand on the fence and say, I don't believe, but I do believe. Or I do believe and I don't. We can't do that. It's one or the other. And Scripture is clear saying that to us over and over, that we either love God or we love ourselves. We can't do both. But the good news this morning, the good news this morning is Jesus is the good shepherd, and he is gathering his flock. He is gathering a people this morning. Now, tomorrow, the next day, 2,000 years ago, he is gathering a people. So I'm going to read John chapter 10, verses 1 through 21. And then, and before I do that, let me remind us that these are Jesus's words to us this morning. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're, what you're going through. I don't know what stress or um, level of fear is, is, is in you right now, what, where your anxiety level is. But I know that Jesus has a word for all of us this morning. And so as we read, this is Jesus speaking and teaching the religious leaders. And so this morning, these are his words to us. So read along with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. This charge I have received from my father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, who has a demon? He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Now, this section of Scripture has, uh, has three sections in it. Verses 1 through 6, verses 7 through 10, and then verses 11 through 20 or 19 or 21. And I think that'll help us as we walk through this. Each section has a main point or a, a main thesis. We'll pull that out. We'll talk through it, and we'll work our way through. As I, sp- as I said earlier, the audience to, to this statement, or this teaching, are the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. So Jesus, is, as he has done in the past, is very pointed, very straight, very clear to them. And so he is very clear to us this morning. When Jesus begins a statement with truly, truly, what he is saying is, what I'm about to say is truth. What I'm about to say is fact. Or like Prince Edward said in A Knight's Tale, it is without contestation. One of my favorite movies. Without contestation, it is fact what I'm about to say. And Jesus begins two sections with truly, truly. So this first section, he begins with truly, truly, I say to you. And our first point that we're going to find in this first section is that the good shepherd calls his own. And as I've already said, Jesus is the good shepherd. There is no mystery. Jesus is the the good shepherd. And our main point is found in verse 3. Verse 3 says, He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4 follows that and just adds to that with they know his voice. This, this knowing is, is, is more than just a knowledge, more than just um, understanding. There's an intimacy there. It's more than, uh, my first job was at a Chick-fil-A, and I started working at Chick-fil-A when I was 15 years old. And when I started, I started in the middle of the school year, so I could only work, the, the state of Georgia only allowed me to work 20 hours, and then, and I couldn't work at night because of school, anyway, so I only worked Saturdays, and I'd work, you know, long hours on Saturday. And my job, when I first started, was to, to take out the trash in the cleaning dining room. They didn't put me in charge in, in charge of a register. They didn't put me in charge of a grill. I was a fifteen year old kid. Like that, that would have been that would have been really silly. But it didn't take me it took me probably two or three weeks to really feel comfortable with that job. So two or three, maybe even four Saturdays, it was until, until I, I, I was comfortable with, I clock in, I knew what to do there, I walked into the dining room, I checked out all the tables, what needed to be uh, cleared, what needed to be wiped, who's short on salt, who's short on sugar, or, or whatever. Like stock those things, I'd stock the, 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 the straws and the napkins and all that stuff. I didn't know that immediately. But once I did, there was a comfort level there. Like I, I, I knew what my job was. And I was able to just get in there and do it. Well, this, this knowledge that, 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 that Jesus is calling his sheep. And that they know his voice. It's more than, than just a Chick-fil-A job where I know what to do. Because it says that they don't listen to the stranger, that they know his voice and they follow his voice. They have heard it enough that they know who this person is. The picture here is, is a courtyard or a house with a courtyard where uh, families had three or four, you know, a lower number of sheep. And a shepherd would tend to multiple family sheep. And so the, the shepherd would come, would come to the doorway of, the, of the, the gate of the courtyard and he would, you know, say, come on or whatever. And the sheep would come out and each family sheep would come out to him and they would follow him because they knew his Voice. They understood his voice. I don't wonder how many of you this morning are, are, are listening to, to strangers instead of listening to the shepherd. Do you know God's voice in your life? Or, or as, as I discussed in the introduction, has your worship been stolen and taken? Because we should be comforted by the fact that he calls his own. And he calls them by name. And he leads them. He doesn't just say, go on. He leads them. With, he goes with them. I would say that he probably smells like them. We should be comforted by that. And so the question is, how, how many of you know his voice? Because the picture and what Jesus is is teaching here has spiritual application. It's not just talking about a shepherd and sheep. That's not how Jesus teaches. This parable that he's teaching in this first section is applicable to you and I in our spiritual lives. How many of you know his voice? And throughout all the noise and all those distractions that are trying to rob your worship, can you hear him? Think about this. All the shepherd has to do is say, whistle, come on, let's go, let's go, whatever, and call the sheep by name if he wants to. It says he knows them by name, and the sheep come. Why do the sheep come? Why do they trust him so much? They know his voice, but what does he provide for them? He provides protection. He provides food and water. He provides rest. The necessities of life are all provided by the shepherd, and therefore the sheep trust him. In this little book that our, our MC is, is studying, let me find it, uh, by Philip Keller, it says, a shepherd looks at Psalm 23. And this, the author was a shepherd, and he digs through and diagnoses and works through Psalm 23 and applies the, the realities of being a shepherd to Psalm 23 in the Word of God. And in, in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 20, 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He, light, he, he lies me down in green pasture. And there's a second part of verse 2, but I'm only doing those, those first, those two sentences. it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. No needs go unmet. I shall not want. He meets every single need of the sheep. The sheep are content and at peace with the shepherd because he has met every single need. They trust him. I lie down, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Interesting fact that we learned in reading this book is that sheep don't lie down freely. You can't say, like, to a dog, lie down, and the sheep's going to lie down. A sheep has, like, four requirements. (laughs) Needy. Needy, needy, needy animals. They need to be free of four specific things before a sheep will lie down. They need to be free of all fear. They need to be free from friction with other sheep. They need to be free from pests, fleas, parasites, distractions. And they need to be free from hunger. So these four things have to be in place. So the shepherd has to provide these things for the sheep in order for the sheep to rest. In order for the sheep to fully trust the shepherd. Free of all fear. We are living in a time where fear is is at a pretty high level. Our world around us can crumble in in a a blink of an eye. Whether we're living in this time of a pandemic or, or, or in a in a mountaintop time, our world around us can crumble. Our jobs can be lost. Our homes can be taken. Our family members can be lost. It doesn't take much. We can have an earthquake in North Carolina that we just had this morning, and just in a blink of an eye, we live in a time where fear and uncertainty is is on a pretty high level. But the sheep can't rest, can't lie down, they can't fully trust the shepherd without having that fear removed. So what does the shepherd do? The shepherd creates boundaries. The shepherd protects the sheep. The shepherd says, "I have it under control. You can rest." A sheep also needs free from friction with other sheep. There needs to be no tension between other sheep, no competition, no, no pushing and jabbing between sheep. Of the flock. So what does the shepherd do? He gets in between. He tells a story in the book of, of, of every time he was away, this large sheep would, would come over and, and really like get ready to start attacking this younger, uh, this younger sheep because he wanted or she wanted to be right in that place. But every time the shepherd would walk and show himself, that, that, that one sheep would back away. The shepherd took that fear from friction away by being a good shepherd, free from pests, from parasites, from fleas, from distractions. How many distractions do we have in our life? How many many distractions do we have in our life that just seem like like fleas flying around our head that we just cannot get get away from? And what does he do? He finds a place where it's shaded, a place where they're protected from such things A place where they can hide. And then the most obvious one fear from hunger. He provides the food and the water that a sheep need. This is what makes a good shepherd. And this is how a sheep can trust their shepherd. They can follow just by a voice. And all of that, the sheep are in complete dependence on the shepherd, they're in complete dependence. Everything they have is fully in the hands of the shepherd. But there's good news for us in this story is that the good shepherd is calling his own. So he knows you by name. He knows you. And so when he calls, are you following the good shepherd? Is your life shaped by an an obedient faith? Do you find hope and peace in chaos, in uncertainty, in tragedy, because you are dependent on the good shepherd? Or do you try to go out and find it yourself? That's when the sheep end up caught in Briars, that's when sheep end up caught on a cliff or off of a cliff. Are you dependent on the good shepherd in your life? Because Jesus is calling and he is gathering his flock. Our second section is verses 7 through 10. If, if the first section is is the what, if the first section is is what Jesus is doing. The second section is the why. So Jesus is gathering a flock. Well, the second section is is that the good shepherd offers abundant life. And this is why he is gathering a flock. He's gathering his people or his own. So let's read verse 7 through 10 really quick. So Jesus again said, because because they did not understand. So the, the Jewish leaders, Jesus was speaking in parable, it's a figure of speech. They did not understand. So Jesus says, "Okay, let me let me say it again," kind of thing. So verse seven. So Jesus again says to them, "Truly, truly, what I'm about to say is true, is fact. I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come, came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture." The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The main point is verse, the second part of verse 10. And the first part of verse 11. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And I am the good shepherd. Jesus makes two statements here that that begin to rattle and anger the Jewish leaders On a level that we would not understand. He says, I am the door and I am the good shepherd. And this is number three and number four of the seven I am statements in the book of John that Jesus makes. I am the door and I am the shepherd. Now, if we just read that grammatically, we're like, okay, he's the door, he's the shepherd. Got it. But that's not how it was received. So when Jesus uses the term I am, there is this weight There's this reverence to this statement because I am is Yahweh. I am is their Lord, the God of their fathers from the Old Testament. I am is not something that you just say. It's not something where you say, I am the the good shepherd. I am the door. He's not just saying that he's stating facts, that he's a door and he's a good shepherd, although we will dig into that and figure out what it is that, that he's, the, his, what is his doorness and what is his good shepherdness. We will dig into that, but, but what he's saying is the God who created the universe, I am as he is. The God who, who split the Red Sea, who rescued you from Egypt, that is who I am. Jesus is saying that I am God. This, this it's like a cartoon where the cartoon starts, the character starts getting angry, and you see the red levels going up and up and up, and now they're like really bright red. The steam's coming out of their ears. The head is, the brain, the head's about to explode. This is what's happening to the Jewish leaders. And then Jesus says another statement. We're going to jump ahead to verse 18, and it's kind of the the, the final draw that that says, this guy, for them to say, this guy is insane. No one takes it from me. In other words, right before in verse 17, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Uh Uh-oh. Now, anybody— has the authority to lay their life down. I would lay my life down for my family. I would jump in front of a bullet for my family. I would protect my family at all costs, and I have the authority to do that. And Jesus says he has the authority to lay down his life. But then he says he has the authority to raise it up again, to take it up again. I have the authority to lay my life down to die, and I have have the authority to not die, to be not dead, to be undead. The Jewish leaders are hearing this man say, I am the door, I am the good shepherd, and now he says, I can die and I can also bring myself back. This man is either insane or he is God. We've got a, a C.S. Lewis quote from Mere Christianity. I want you to read along. Listen to these words. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. Either Jesus is insane, either Jesus is a crazy man, or he is exactly who he says he is. Truly, truly, I say to you, what I'm saying is fact. He is the good shepherd. So, our scene changes a little bit in verses 7 through the end of our section this morning. Now, we're looking at at a pasture. We're out in a pasture. We're no longer in a courtyard. We're now in a pasture. And Jesus is, is talking about a shepherd, and he says that he is the door. So out in the pasture, you would have some sort of pen, usually uh, a circle with, with one doorway where you go in and out, rocks, keeping the, sh- the sheep in, maybe and hopefully on top of those the rock wall would have thorn bushes so it would keep uh, other animals from jumping in and getting the sheep. And in the doorway, the shepherd would rest. In the doorway, the shepherd would even sleep. He would lay across the, the entrance. And it's the doorway where he would allow sheep to go in, and out. He was the way in and the way out. And spiritually speaking, Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is the only way to salvation. He is the only way to rescue us is through Jesus. Later in John 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. I am the door. Verse 9 uses a term, uses a word called saved. If you're talking about a shepherd and you're talking about sheep and you're the door and you're the good shepherd, what do they need to be saved from? Well, for us, remember the audience. The audience are the Jewish leaders. They need to be saved. Sheep need to be saved from those fears that we discussed just a few minutes ago. And the religious leaders need to be saved from their religiosity. They need to be saved from their moral practices. They need to be saved from their pride. They need to be saved from their sin. As do all human beings. The Good Shepherd offers something that that you and I can't get on our own. The Good Shepherd offers abundant life. And that begins with salvation. That begins with being saved. That begins with the Good Shepherd letting the sheep into the pen, into the area where He is the door. But it's much, much more. A life free to worship Jesus, to know Jesus, and to love Jesus. Jesus. It's not, an abundant life is not an accumulation of stuff or an accumulation of education or accumulation of awards or accolades or money or status or prestige. It's not friendships. It's not community. Although those, some of those things are fine and good. That's not abundant life. Abundant life is knowing and being known by God by the good shepherd, by Jesus. He is the target and he is the arrow. Abundant life is not about some of these good things. It's not about being wealthy and having Jesus or having community and having Jesus. No, it's about Jesus. Jesus. It's Jesus, He is the rock in, in all times, high and low, mountain or valley. He is the rock in the times of great fear, great anxiety, great question. He is the rock. And he is abundant life. Do you see? Do you see that this morning? Do you see that that, that your life isn't better because you have all these other things? Your life is better because you have, you know, and are known by Jesus. And that's it. Do you see that? Abundant life isn't measured, and it isn't given by anyone on earth. Although people will try to to seek it, They may call it something else. Politicians will call it one thing. Live here. You'll be happier here. You'll have meaning and purpose in your life if you blank. Or, or the, 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 the most popular one right now, and you hear it all the time, is if we can just get back to normality. If we can just get back to the normal life. Guys, normal life isn't abundant life. Jesus is abundant life. We, we believe lies. We believe deceptions and thinking that we have to have certain things or do certain things to be certain people have certain influence or whatever, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and I am offering abundant life. I came to give life abundantly. That's who Jesus is. Abundant life is not found in our world. No matter how hard we try, no matter how good we are, no matter how um, sacrificial we may even be, It is not found in our world. It's only found in a person, in a person named Jesus. So if the first section of of our text this morning, one through six, is is the what, and the second section is the why, the third section then is the how. So verse 11 through 19. The third point is the good shepherd knows his own and gives up his life for them. Let's read eleven through nineteen real quick, and we'll finish. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He he flees because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. From my father. Our main point in this section is that, is verse 15 I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, Jesus has this comparison. He compares the good shepherd with the hired hand. So, the hired hand, the first sign of danger, what does the hired hand do? do? He's out, checked, gone, flees. And what happens to the sheep? The wolves come. The wolves come and, and devour. The wolves come and take and, and, and spread. And, but why, was he, why would he do this? Why would the hired hand do this? Jesus says because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the sheep. He doesn't know the sheep. He doesn't love the sheep. He is just a hired hand. Too many of us are, are putting our faith in a hired hand. Now what I mean by that is, is not a person specifically, but an idea. A, a, a thought, a, a mantra, a if I just do this then, which I referenced just a couple of minutes ago. We put our faith in something that, that, to be honest, is temporary. There's another thing in our life that is temporary. When we give in to sin, the joy, the pleasure of sin is temporary. It does not last. We buy the lie of the hired hand. We buy the lie of sin And it does not last. At the first sign of trouble, at the first sign of danger, that which you had put your faith in fails. The person in which you put your faith in, the mentor in which you put your faith in, fails. But Jesus, the good shepherd, what does he do? He protects. He stands between the danger and the sheep. He protects the sheep from all danger. The danger you can see and the danger that you can't. He stands between and protects them. He doesn't leave them. He cares for them. He cares for his sheep. And he knows them by name. This is the Good Shepherd. The good shepherd offers abundant life. But how did he get abundant life? Because he gives up his life. He stands between trouble and the sheep. He lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus gives everything up for the sheep. Are you seeing this picture that Jesus is painting? Are you seeing that, that nothing compares to Jesus. He is the good shepherd and what he offers is far greater because he gave everything up and he had the power to do so. Jesus is the good shepherd. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 53 and this should be a familiar I think a familiar text, if you've been in church any period of time, you've heard, you've uh, read even maybe. Isaiah 53, uh, on, the, on your screen you'll have verse 6 and 7, but I'm going to back up. Sorry, Matt, I'm going to back up to uh, verse 3. And this will not be on your screen, so just hear me or read along with me. He, being Jesus... Now, this is written by Isaiah, who is a prophet hundreds of years before Jesus even arrived on earth. Verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. I'm going to pause there for a second. Jesus, the good shepherd, gave up his life. The good shepherd gave up his life. Not just for sheep, real sheep, as if the illustration was with what Jesus is teaching is true, but in spiritual, it, for his church, for his people, he gave up his life. He was despised and rejected. A man acquainted with grief. He, had bo- he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Peace? What peace? And with his wounds we are healed. Healed. This man, this good shepherd, lays down his life and the sheep are healed and have peace. How is this even possible? Why did the good shepherd lay down his life? What did he save them from? He saved them from their sin. He saved them from themselves. The sin problem that we are born with and born into. The good shepherd gave up his life and was pierced for our transgressions. That is Jesus. But now verse 6 and verse 7. All we like sheep... Have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. This good shepherd. This is Jesus who says, I have the authority to give up my life. I have the authority to raise my life or take it back. Kept his mouth closed and obediently gave up his life. For what does verse 6 say? All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We are rebellious creatures who do the opposite of what God says. And yet he still laid down his life for you and for me. The character in this, in this section of Scripture that is crazy, in my opinion, the character that is insane in this section of Scripture is not Jesus. It's not the blind man from chapter 9. The character or characters are the Jewish leaders. The religious leaders. They have been told over and over, and over, who Jesus is, truth, fact, without contestation, and Jesus has been clear with them, and they do not understand. They have become more, and more, blind. Thinking that their goodness, that their right living, that their their, their provisions, the way that they live, what should, would, or could provide for them the life that they think they, they, they want or, can, or need. But the reality is, is only Jesus can provide what they need and they don't even know it. That's, that's the crazy character in this story. We were all made with a need for Jesus. We all need rescuing. It does not matter who you are, or what you do. Every person is born with a need for Jesus because of sin. We need a rescue, and every person worships. The question is, who do you worship? Do you worship the good shepherd? Do you worship Jesus, or do you worship yourself? or something else See the good shepherd he he leads us he leads you to worshiping him where we find peace and we find hope we find security that sheep need The only hope this morning for any of us who can listen and hear this is Jesus and he is God and he came to rescue he came gathering his sheep he came to rescue his people from themselves i remind you in john chapter 20 john is one of my favorite books because he's very clear very straightforward. And in John chapter 20, there's evidence of this. He says, the reason why I'm writing or I write this letter to you is for two reasons. That you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. That you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. Next week, in in, in verse 26, we're going to be encouraged. Or 27, 26, I think. Yeah, 26. Verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The good shepherd provides the security, provides the safety, provides the peace, provides the contentment, provides the hope, provides the the, the need of belonging, provides the purpose, provides all the things that we need, he provides. That's Jesus. Nothing more, nobody else. So as we walk these days out, as as a church and as individuals, My prayer this morning is that you would know Jesus, that you would know that he is the Son of God, that you would know that he is God, and that you would believe in him and have life in his name. Abundant life. Joy-filled. Doesn't mean always happy, but joy-filled, obedient, faithful life. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for your word. That 2,000 plus years old, that it's still relevant and it still speaks to us. I pray that, uh, that if anybody who has he- heard these words or um, will hear these words that don't know you, God, that you would call them. That they would know your voice and that you would call them by name. We thank you for uh, loving us and sending your son Jesus for us, and that in Jesus we have life. In Jesus we have abundant life. I pray that today we would get opportunities to share that abundant life with those around us. Help us to be obedient and to live as you want us to live. We need your help. We need your spirit. So we pray and ask you to work in Jesus' name. Amen.